Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Explain It Slowly, where I ask Dimitri a question and he will answer. I'll do my best. <laughs> Alright, so today's topic it's a little bit lighter, uh, not very tech related. Yeah, I think we went 30 minutes on that last one. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, um, so what I want to know is, what is French food? I know when it comes to certain type of cuisine, you know, like American food, they're known for like burgers and things like that, hot dogs, right? Mm -hmm. So what is French food? So like, I guess we can answer this in one of two ways. Like what is French food known for? Sure. Versus like what makes up French cuisine, right? Um, what is French food known for? I mean, like when people think about French food, they think of like escargot or snail, um oh. so, but and they're like thinking like fancy like uh oh when when you go to a french restaurant that's what you're gonna get um and now that but i mean like vietnamese food have escargot yeah no well that's that's my point uh is that there isn't so much like a key ingredient that makes french food french food uh, -huh. uh nor is there like a key dish like if you think of american food there's like burgers and pizza uh, and that's that that encompasses all of American cuisine, right? <laughs> uh, and that's because American cuisine, like the rest of it, eating pasta, eating like that's Italian, you know, mm -hmm. or having a steak that's European. I mean, okay. American cuisine takes its roots in European food uh, because Europeans were the ones that kind of took over, uh, and like they made their cuisine their cuisine, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so. I wouldn't say there's like a key dish or a key like flavor that makes French food French food. And that is probably because French cuisine as like a thing does not limit itself to one particular flavor or dish. Like pasta is just as much French as it is Italian because they share a border, you know? Okay. But I would think certain parts of France that is closer to the Italian border would probably is more heavy on pasta yeah they'll, they'll probably eat more parts, pasta than other parts but like if you think about French food like what people eat in France in terms of like I'm just gonna have my normal dinner it's like steak and pasta it's as like normal as anything else because it's just that's typical food have some potatoes uh kind of thing mm -hmm. um now what differentiates French food from like almost all the other European cuisines, I think, is they weren't afraid to experiment uh, in that they eat snail. They will eat pretty much anything. Rabbit, deer, beef, pork, all the different types of meat, fish, all the different types of fish, octopus, shrimp, like uh, clams, oysters, like all of that kind of takes part in French cuisine and they will make any ingredient like part of that cuisine mm -hmm. they are unafraid to welcome it in uh and experiment with it make sauces with it be fancy with it or just be plain with it right mm -hmm. yeah i and so like if if i were to be asked like what's french food and what's french cuisine i would say like whatever you're used to probably has pieces and origins in french cuisine mm -hmm. you know it's probably a simplified version of it we can think of French cuisine and like what people eat at home or we can eat, think about it as like what is served at a fancy restaurant, you know, but in France, they're not going to have like, this is a French cuisine place, you know, they're going to have a, a specialty. This is a place where you go and get gnocchi and these gnocchi are from the South 
uh, and along the border of uh, Italy, and they're going to be more or less the same as the Italian gnocchi, but they're going to be French gnocchi because it's in France, you know? Okay. So I, I would consider that to be, like, the boundary of where French cuisine lies. Would you say to be classified as, like, a French dinner, you would have to have a French baguette? <laughs> yes. Okay, so the, the, <laughs> if there are rules, it is that, uh, one, every meal, whether that's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, uh, is just served with baguette, because baguette is everywhere in France. Right. Uh, and it's damn good. Like, there's there's... There's a very few like bread options that are just universally good, and I think baguette is is right up there with, um, right up there being like a really good bread that just works in a variety of different situations. You want it nice and fluffy, you just kind of carve out a tunnel into your baguette, and you have it nice and fluffy, and you can ignore the hard crust and let someone else deal with it. Uh, if you want hard crust, you can just peel off the hard crust and ignore the fluffy bits and leave that to someone else. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very, it's a very um welcoming bread to use in different situations sandwiches uh just as a as a utensil to push your sauce and to like soak things up like baguette works great for all of those situations in france you like there's a such thing as a baguette box in the neighborhood and the local baker the bread box the bread box yeah and in every town or in yeah. every village I, I would say like the smaller towns and villages they all have one uh -huh. and the baker instead of like going to everyone's house they'll just kind of like shove it in the bread box uh, and you who have prepaid the baker get to take a bread. I mean, you're not going to take more than you earn because someone's going to be pissed uh, well, in that neighborhood. You're right? hoping it's on the honest system, though. Right? It most definitely is. You don't want to make your French neighbors more French. Um, like you don't want to poke that beehive. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so you you take your bread and then you go home and you have a nice fresh baguette, like baked that morning. Right. It, it couldn't be better. Its hard crust serves as its protection in the bread box, even. Does that does that still exist nowadays, or it's more or less because when so when we went to France a few years ago, that mm -hmm. was my first time going, and that was my first time hearing about this bread box, right? It still existed, <laughs> at least where your grandparents are. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, in like other places, do they still do that? Because uh, bakery, there's everywhere. It's like a bakery at every block, pretty yeah, much. There's lots of bakeries. Everyone knows how to bake bread. Yeah. Um, and I would say the smaller towns probably still have one mm -hmm. just because there's an older population or if there's a new hip population, they're going to probably like the bread box more than a subscription bread service brought to your door, you know, right. uh, it's, it's more of a, uh, of an enchanting adventure to walk down a few blocks to go get your bread or not a few blocks, a few hills because you're in the <laughs> middle of nowhere in the city. There's no such thing as a bread box. Right. Um, but in like these little commune uh, communities up in the hills and the mountains, like um, yeah, I, I would say the baker his truck does not go farther. There's no road, um, so he leaves it at the bread box. You know, that was a really cool thing that I learned when I, when we were in France. The like, second thing you learned when we were in France is that the bread that's made that day is not the bread that you eat. <laughs> mm, I don't know because I think so. The story goes is that Dimitri's parents. Or Dimitri's grandparents mm -hmm. don't eat the bread that was delivered the day <laughs> of because because they still have bread left over from the previous day. So they would always serve the old bread first. But by doing that, the new bread now mm. becomes old the next day. <laughs> so they're always eating old bread. But I think when we were there, it was always new bread, no? Yeah, so 
Maybe because I was there and they didn't want to like they, serve old bread. I, I think it was more that than anything. Uh-huh. Of they didn't want to disappoint uh, their granddaughter-in-law, um, and they didn't want to scare her off too quickly. Uh, but in general, I would say if people are like trying to finish everything, they're gonna eat the old bread first. Now, old bread does not necessarily mean shitty bread. There's lots of cool techniques that you learn to like keep the bread alive one if you have fresh bread freeze it wrap it in a plastic bag and freeze it it will stay fresh mm-hmm. like you can anytime you want bread from that point forward assuming you pre-cut it into like reasonable sizes otherwise it's a frozen french baguette and that thing is hard um <laughs> but assuming you have reasonable sized pieces you just have to lightly like damp your hands to like touch the outside of the crust and toast it and that thing will feel as if it was like freshly baked mm-hmm. um at, it won't last many more times after that, but yeah. assuming you know what you're going to have, that's a great way to preserve a baguette and have it still work uh, just fine. Okay, so then if what about if you have bread that is like rock hard and there's no way of salvaging it? What there's do you a, do? There's no besides, saving it, right? Besides from making breadcrumb, I guess. But can, can you do anything else with like day-old bread that is super hard? Well, you just said it, croutons. That's literally a French word for crouton which is like old pieces of bread um so you can be fancy and have your croutons on your salad when that's just a really good way of using old pieces of bread right yeah but sometimes people use fresh bread to make croutons as well what a waste (laughs) (laughs) so then is there anything else you can do with old bread besides croutons so one of my favorite things to do with old bread uh, is to first inspect it and make sure it is not moldy (laughs) um but if assuming your bread survived uh it can get hard in a variety of different ways. One, it can get like totally rock hard and insalvageable. A great use of that, just break it further until you have like fine like um, crumbs of bread, mm-hmm. basically. And then if you have like chicken, uh, you can do like a chicken parmesan uh, where you just like uh, so whack like, your chicken so, and make it very soft. So like bread crumb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. E- exactly dip it in egg and then you can coat whatever you want to cook and fry it uh and that's an excellent use of old bread the second excellent use of old bread is to make french toast so over here in the states we think of french toast as this fancy thing you get at your brunch place um it's served with a a very thick slice of very fluffy brioche mm-hmm. um uh and the like uh in france it's called pain perdu which means we lost the bread um or we forgot about the bread However you want to interpret that, you take old bread that's too hard to do anything about it, you let it soak in, like, egg and milk until it gets soft, mm-hmm. like, however long it needs. If it needs 10 minutes, it needs 10 minutes. If it needs two hours, it needs two hours. Uh, but you, you <laughs> want to get it to the point where uh, the egg and milk mixture that you made, perhaps with a little sugar, um, kind of soaks all the way through, and then you just fry that, and you make a little omelet that is, like, made of... The the bread is like an infrastructure for your omelet, mm-hmm. and that's what French toast is. It's just like cooked egg using in the and, shape of bread, hmm. right? That sounds really good. Yeah, French toast is delicious. It tastes great with old croissants too. So if you have a croissant or croissant, croissant, <laughs> croissant, croissant. Uh, if you have an old croissant, <laughs> croissant, croissant. <laughs> So I, I grew up like always just eating croissant at home because I'm half French, um, and I never I never knew what Americans called it. So the first time I went to college and I had to order 
croissant. A croissant. I'm, on my own. I'm like, can I have a croissant? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, they're not going to understand what croissant is. Uh, so I, I dumbed it down for myself and made myself look like an idiot. Um, <laughs> did they did they understand the the, American? the croissant? Yeah, yeah, they understood that fluently. <laughs> um, it's like my cousin who one time when I was little, uh, I would cook often, uh, and she said, "Oh, Dimitri, can you make me some craps?" I'm like, mm, "I'm not too sure about that." Craps, you know, you made them; they're really light and fluffy. I'm like, mm, <laughs> not understanding at all what she's talking about. And then finally, it clicked. She's talking about crepes or crep, as I would have said. Um, but she's calling them craps, and that was not clicking in my head. Well, it's because she's saying the wrong thing. She's calling it craps. <laughs> yeah, so I say croissant. <laughs> <laughs> it's proof that me and my family are related. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's about French cuisine. Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I remember my, my, uh, so since knowing Dimitri, you often eat at his parents' house, and his dad, who is French, always makes simple sim- home food. But every time we go, I go there. It's always like French fry, steak, pasta. Sometimes there's a sauce. Sometimes there's nothing. Most of the time, it's just butter on pasta. Like very simple but delicious food, right? Yeah. Sometimes you'd get a little fancy, like cutting up bell pepper and stuffing it with something. Yeah. But like, but there's always yeah. bread, which I love, and then. Uh, fast forward a few years, it was my first time to go to France to meet his grandparents because we've never met and they weren't able to really come to our wedding. So we went to France and I was so excited. I was like, okay, I finally get to experience what French cuisine is like. (laughs) Not knowing that, you know, I have been eating French food cuisine at Dimitri's parents' house. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm ready. I wonder if I'm going to like all of this, uh, you know, new food. When we got there, first night was steak and pasta. <laughs> the next night was stew, was also stew. known fancily as bœuf bourguignon, which, which just I, means stew. <laughs> I really like that. But what I found out is that, like, you pretty much stew it with an entire bottle of wine, mm-hmm. which I didn't know. I thought it was like a maybe like a tomato sauce kind of type thing with the meat and then you kind of and then you kind of just splash it with a little bit of like wine just to give it a flavor but a few like like after we came back to the states and we asked uh, your cousin for the recipe and you told me she's like oh just dump a whole bottle of wine in there and that was like the the main sauce part I mean, it's not too right. different from tomato. Like tomatoes, at the end of the day, you boil down that wine. There's no alcohol left in it. It's just mm-hmm. fruit juice at that point. Right. What's tomatoes? Fruit juice. It was really good. It's I like thing. It. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was a little bit disappointed that French cuisine. Yeah, you go was to a bakery. What... There's baguettes and croissant. You know, it's like no, what no, you no. find here. No, but I meant like prior to going to France, I had like this ideal in my head that oh it's going to be something really fancy and you know unique and stuff but when we got there it was just like oh this is what your dad cooks all the time yeah it was you know it was a little bit like huh okay i guess (laughs) you got pre-introduced to french cuisine without even knowing it right so that was the yeah well well, i guess you never grew up with a typical american households of a meal right so you maybe just assume that we were just having American food, right? Probably. I think so. Because, I mean, I'm Vietnamese and Chinese, so we grew up eating a lot of Asian food. Mm-hmm. And 
we don't really eat out at all. I mean, I remember the first time I actually like go to restaurants and things like that and eat out or like around high school years. That was when I actually made friends and actually like made an uh, effort to hang out with friends. But prior to that, like every day going to school, come back home, my mom had already made food the night before, like soup or stew or whatever. And we just warm them up, you know? So like my knowledge of American food isn't that extensive yeah it's you know i know the typical mcdonald's the kind of stuff burgers mm. fries you know pizza pizza i didn't know what i guess american or french or any other cuisines are you mm-hmm. know? yeah so to sum it up i don't think french cuisine has like the stere- a stereotype associate like it does have a stereotype like as i said before snail like if you think about french food you're gonna think eventually come across that mm-hmm. as like a talking point do people eat snails every day in france no it's like a fancy thing. It is. Uh, yeah. The snails come in a jar and the shells you buy separately and they they, right. they put it together for you. Which is really... Secret exposed. That was really <laughs> funny because uh, one year for my birthday, your dad bought us escargot. Mm-hmm. And he he specifically like had to explain to me that like the escargot did not come in the shell. He had to buy the shell and mm-hmm. then stuff it with the meat the escargot meat and then he like dress it up with like basils and butter and things like that yeah yeah you're, you're eating a bunch of herbs uh the the snail does not have much flavor it's soaked mm-hmm. up whatever juices you cooked it in mm-hmm. um but yeah like french cuisine is just about exploring flavors and sauces and ways of garnishing up ingredients and having fun with it mm-hmm. that's what french cuisine is in the end i mean i when i did had the escargot that your dad made like mm-hmm. i wasn't really like scared by it or anything because i grew up actually eating snails like mm-hmm. vietnamese cuisine we eat snails i mean well never had snail up until that point i was like super picky oh, uh, growing up uh, and the first time i had snail was with you at an asian place yeah. and they just served some sea snails and not garnished or anything it's like here's some sea snails and on the side you get some fish sauce yeah, uh, that, that's, that's a typical, how you enjoy <laughs> that's like the, the easiest way is to like just boil them or steam them. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of just dip it in like a, a mixed fish sauce concoction kind of thing. And the fish sauce kind of masks the flavor of the snail, which has no taste anyway. Yeah, it's, it's a it's little just, rubbery, yeah, chewy thing. It's, it's like, just it's like the a texture. clam. If, you, if you've ever had a clam, not too different. Yeah, it's just the texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, French food has a lot of influence on... Vietnamese food as well. I mean, yeah. I grow up eating baguette all the time too. Yeah, banh mi is all based around a French baguette. Right. Like so, it doesn't work on other piece, types of bread. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're all connected in a way. Yeah. So. I mean, American food is just as much based on French food as it is everywhere else. And European food is all kind of interconnected. Uh, and thanks to French pe- people being all high and mighty in the 1700s, they kind of push the push the envelope in terms of what food tastes like and should taste like and explored it a bit i mean i remember you telling me about how uh people like rediscovered uh recipes from way back when like not even uh, 200 years ago and if you were to cook this food it's not tasty yeah um and i would assume humanity was just fine with not tasty food forever since they never had tasty food to Mm -hmm. kind of ruin it for them yeah um and it's only now that our cultures are intermixing that people get inspired to try new and different ideas and sometimes it just falls flat like americanized sushi not a fan 
Um, but sometimes it, it, you get something new and interesting out of the combination, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I think cuisine is made to evolve. Like we can think of uh, an ideal for a particular culture, but to limit that culture to never be able to expand from there. And it's like, oh, all of uh, Vietnamese cuisine is just pho, right? Like yeah. that's what people think about over here. That's not what all Vietnamese cuisine is about. Uh, by the way, you should download Not Pho, Lin's app, which is all about everything except pho. Uh, so a little plug there. <laughs> um, but to go back to my point, like if I were to characterize Vietnamese cuisine, I would say fish sauce. Like there's so many dishes that center around fish sauce, but that's not even scratching but the surface. But you didn't know, you didn't know that fish sauce was a main part of Vietnamese cuisine because mm -hmm. when we first met... I didn't know fish sauce was the thing. That's, that's delicious. Right. When we first met, you didn't really eat Vietnamese food because you always assumed it was just pho and you didn't like noodle soups at all. Right? Yeah, I'm not a fan of noodle soups. Right. Mm -hmm. Have you tried, have you tried anything else no, besides No, I didn't know pho? it existed. Right. So it was, I introduced you to like these other dishes like rice noodles you know i mean you know the typical spring rolls egg rolls but mm -hmm. like that's pretty much what people know right if, if you're not a fan of egg rolls and you're used to like chinese egg rolls um give vietnamese egg rolls a try they are packed full of meat and they are delicious no no cabbage stuff just just sprinkling that in try vietnamese egg rolls they're delicious continuing <laughs> Well, I mean, Vietnamese egg rolls can have cabbage, too. I think the problem is that Panda Express or, like, those food-to-go places <laughs> make it taste disgusting. Because mm -hmm. I've had had cabbage, vegetable-type egg rolls mm -hmm. from a Thai place, and it's delicious. Mm -hmm. I think just the the way that, I guess, a lot of fast food places like Panda Express make them is just gross, mm -hmm. you know? Not every Chinese place make bad egg rolls. It's just egg rolls from fast food chains like Panda Express and Panda Walk and Panda whatever. Those are the ones that are bad. We go to a Chinese restaurant all the time and they have good egg rolls. No? Do they? I don't know. The last time I tried it, it didn't taste that great. I wouldn't know, actually. I would never get egg rolls from a Chinese place anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my point proven. Uh, if you ever go to a Vietnamese place and you're having pho, also get a side of egg rolls. They are delicious. They come with like greens to kind of wrap them in. And hopefully they give you a decent fish sauce. Then they don't try to like water it down because they're afraid like people don't like it, which happens unfortunately. But assuming they give you a good fish sauce to dip it in, it is delicious. Um, anyways, my point uh, that I was <laughs> earlier trying to make uh, is like Vietnamese food. People think of pho as like that's what Vietnamese food is all about. Yeah. Not at all true. I think of it as... Anything surrounding fish sauce because there's a ton of dishes that surround fish sauce. That's not even true. Like, I am just scratching the surface in terms of what kind of Vietnamese flavors there mm -hmm. are. Like, Lynn is telling me that there are hundreds of, like, noodle soups that oh, yeah. are just available with tons of different types of broths, tons of different yeah. types of noodles. Like, there's a lot out there. I'm not into noodle soups myself, so I'm probably not going to scratch that surface too much. But if you were to characterize, if you were to ask a Vietnamese person who lives in Vietnam to say, like, what vietnamese food is they have a much higher chance of answering that mm -hmm. than like pho right but, but pho is one of right but it's kind of like you said how french cuisine like it's not really known for one thing it's mm -hmm. it's a lot of stuff that makes up that culture you know mm -hmm. and it, it all comes down to i think like the people the you know the the culture behind it the spices that is used the type of ingredients really you know mm -hmm. like vietnamese use a lot of fish sauce 
use a lot of herbs. We use herbs, you know, not like oregano American type of herbs, but like Thai basil, chili, mint, cilantro. cilantro. Like we use fresh herbs to make food, you know, lemongrass, mm -hmm. a huge thing in Vietnamese cuisine. It's lemongrass used to marinate meat too, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's Vietnamese cuisine. I mean, like there's noodle soup, there is rice, there's barbecue. I mean, like they do all sorts of Turns like, out any ingredients you can get your hands on and you can mix and match right. them, people will make a cuisine out of that. Right. And that's what it comes mm -hmm. down to. I mean, like I would say the the typical French flavor, if you can have one, mm -hmm. um, is uh, onions, carrots, and I think celery. Like if you make a broth, a soup, mm -hmm. you're going to use those three ingredients all the time. And then you might add to that. Right. You know, but you're always going to start with that and that's going to be your base flavor. Uh, and that's probably because they had lots of onions, carrots, and celery. You know, <laughs> there's like no other reason. Uh, in Japan, the base flavor for soup is like seaweed. Bonito. Bonito flavor. Yeah, bo bonito or seaweed or both. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> people kelp. mix and match. Yeah, yeah kel kelp is what I meant by seaweed. Mm. Um, you, you boil that, it has no flavor, but you add something else to it and suddenly it explodes in flavor. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, Vietnamese cuisine, the base for a lot of soup is are bones. Mm -hmm. Like pork bones. We don't chicken bones, depending on what you're making, like mm -hmm. beef bones, you know, it's mainly bones. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you just cook that by itself, it has no flavor. It tastes like water. Yeah. But the minute you add a little bit of salt or you add another ingredient to that, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it's not salty water. It's full of flavor. Yeah. Um, and it really comes out. And like that's that's part of cuisine. It's complicated, right? Yeah, there's it's, no one answer. Yeah, but back then, probably people just like boiled the bones because like, what else are you going to do with them? Uh, and they're like, this tastes okay. But, and they never thought of adding salt because they didn't have any salt because it's not readily available, you know? So it's like, now we get, a, we get to experience all types of cuisines. We should be happy about that. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, oh, this is, I only eat this kind of cuisine or that kind of cuisine. We should try all things. Right. There's lots of, lots of experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that was an exciting discussion about food and French cuisine. Yeah, we, we kind of <laughs> veered off track from French food and Into kind of talked about cuisine in general and yeah. Vietnamese cuisine. But yeah, I, I had fun Well, with because, that. because there's not really one thing. I mean, the fact that we're able to travel all the time now and traveling has been so easy that like... People mix, you know, people, people like different cultures yeah, mingle. Boundaries then... between cultures and countries is a lot looser nowadays. Right. We're all earthlings. Right. Uh, and we all kind of experience and, each other's cultures. And, and because of war, it. because of war that different cultures get embedded into each other. And then that's how Vietnamese people get bred. I would say at the end of the day, hundreds of years later, hey, it worked out, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll steer clear of that discussion. <laughs> no, I'm saying in the end, like good things come out of it. And yeah. that we're able to have all of these great cuisines and able to expand our palate, you know, mm -hmm. is because of these, all these cultures coming together and mixing. And honestly, like as much as I want to say, like it probably could have also happened without war. Um, but if you're never forced to try something that you aren't comfortable with, mm -hmm. you're never really going to try it. Like yeah. I was super picky my whole life and it wasn't until I didn't literally know how to say no. Like I, when I went to Japan that very first time. My vocabulary was limited. I didn't know how to say, no, I don't want to try that. So it was just put in front of me. And like at a loss of words, you have to do something. Right. So I tried things and it was that moment that I like my floodgates opened and I was willing to try new things. Like I would say that many people probably have a very similar experience and not just with food, but with all sorts of things. You're not really willing to try new things because you're comfortable. Why? 
why push that boundary if mm-hmm. you don't need to, right? Um, and it's not until someone forces you to do something that you're going to give it a try. Maybe you don't like it. Give it another try. Maybe it has to grow on you. Like the best foods that I've ever had, they're all foods I probably would not have liked the very first time I tried them. Yeah. It's something that you need to kind of build up a tolerance to. And then once you build up a tolerance to the parts that you don't like about it, you discover parts that you never knew could have existed. Mm -hmm. And it's that acquired taste in a way that nothing, like nothing really lives up to again. And it's it's hard <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. It's hard to break out of your comfort zone and try something new. Like, you have to be willing to try. Mm-hmm. Because you can con- try to convince someone to try something, no matter how much you say it, if they're not willing to accept that effort, yeah, it's, not gonna happen. it's never going to happen. So. Mm-hmm. Long story short, that was everything that I know about French cuisine. I hope I explained it slowly enough. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fun. Now let's go eat some food. Go eat some delicious food. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening.